Thank you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. Morning, church. How are we doing today? Yeah, ready for the word? Okay. Well, today we begin a new series, Selfless. And it's going to be about love, marriage, and sex. That's right. In view of Valentine, uh, if you've been with us long enough, you know that we, we have a, a, a team throughout the year that uh, really just goes around. And, and February is the, the love month. We're going to be talking about love. But this time, we're going to talk about it in view of Christ and the church. Let's just go ahead and uh, pull up our text for today. It's coming from Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us, and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Let's just pray really quick. Father, thank you. Father, may you use me just to express what true love is all about, what selfless love is all about. And Father, I pray that you would open the ears of your people. You would open their hearts to receive, that you would even soften hearts and just be the one, Father, to, to impress in their heart that you are the one, and you are the one, Father, where love originated from. In the name of Jesus, amen. Usually, and I think it's safe to say that whenever the topic of love is talked about, the tendency for most of us is that it's romantic love that pops in. Isn't that correct? I mean, we look at our movies industry. A great number of movies always include romantic love. Our music alone, I mean, if you love Taylor Swift, oh my goodness, how many times did she break up and how many times did she fall in love all over again? Adele is just full of brokenheartedness. Jason Mraz, who else? You can name it. It always seemed to include romantic love. Somebody's laughing over there. Perhaps that's one of their favorite. <laughs> Correct? <laughs> See, that's, it's almost like we can't help it. Whenever the, just the, the mere word of love is talked about, it's almost like our mind is wired to think of romantic love. So just to begin, let me give you a, a romantic story. This is a true story. I had to ask my wife for permission to share this. <laughs> in the movie Fifty First Dates, I don't know if you guys have seen it, it's, a, it's a Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore had a short-term amnesia. She could only, <laughs> she cannot remember the day that she, uh, that she lived. So Adam Sandler, <laughs> Adam Sandler did everything he could to date, uh, that's why you call it 51st date. So every time they meet for a date, it looks like for uh, Drew Barrymore, it seems like it's the first date all the time. Isn't that great? <laughs> Don't you think? So every time they kiss, for her, oh, the, it was her first kiss. But in reality, it wasn't. So let me share with you to tell you that I still remember when I first kissed my wife. Do you believe that? This month, we're going to celebrate our 16-year anniversary. Uh-huh. The first time I kissed my wife was February 17, 2001. It was at the top of the mar, overlooking the Pacific Ocean. In fact, some of you are even there. 
Even our founding pastor was there. We shared our first kiss in front of our, of our founding pastor. Ooh, what is that? <laughs> my wife is covering her face now. <laughs> How is it that I could remember my first kiss just like Drew Barrymore? Well, because February 17, 2001 was our wedding day. I first kissed my wife during our wedding day. Yes, thank you. Wow, how romantic. Isn't it? Now I got you guys going. <laughs> thank you for the clap. But the thing is, it's not always the case when it comes to love. We lack an understanding and just an experience of love that we have used love differently. We have given love to meet our personal needs. We have withheld love for the same reason so that we can get our personal needs. I mean, young women has lost their virtue just so they can feel loved and accepted. Even the boys give in to peer pressure and they would commit acts just to feel accepted and to feel loved. Isn't it not? We have justified and validated lifestyles just so in the name of love or the lack of love because there was no more love in the marriage. That's why we went looking for love at the wrong places. Correct? Who sang that? All the right love, uh, the right love at the wrong places. Okay, never mind. Okay, keep your head, keep your keep your head together for over here. See, that's 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 how love has been because we lacked an understanding and we lacked an experience of what true love is all about. We have fallen into anything that resembles love. Isn't that a sad? That is the sad state of of how the world is. So today, week one, we're going to talk about a love that is based on Christ and his church. Amen? So that's, uh, now you're going to remove all that romantic love that you just heard. (laughs) No, I'm sorry. But uh, if you're still with me. (laughs) Okay, first kiss. Keep that in mind. So that's what we're going to talk about. Okay, so where do we begin? Where do we begin to see what true love is all about? Well, we can begin in this. First, uh, go ahead and pull up John. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Just like our text earlier where it says, be imitators of God and walk in love. The difficulty with that is we lack the understanding of what true love is. It's difficult, just like this one, to to love one another, to walk in love when we really do not have a full understanding of what love is. Amen? Here we see in verse 8, it says that God is love. We just finished a series on the attributes of God, and here it is. Here's another. I mean, that was not that we've only touched on a very uh, uh, only a couple of his attributes. Amen? And just like what Pastor Mark said, it is so vast to really know God that it will take your entire lifetime and even for eternity to actually know the fullness of God. Amen? So the same way with love, we might only touch, we're only going to touch on three. Okay, we're going to touch on three things about love. So we begin to discover what love is. We got to go back to God. Because if it says that God is love, then we got to know who God is in order to know what love is. Amen? 
Are you with me? So let's just go ahead and jump to the main point. Don't show, don't show the first point yet. Okay? Now, since we're on love, it will be a, it, you'll probably be surprised to know that the first mention of love in the Bible is not even a love of a man for a woman. And it's not even a love of God for a man. That is not the first mention of love in the Bible. The first mention of love in the Bible is found in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 2, it says, Then he said, this is God speaking to Abraham, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. That's the first appearance of the word love in the Bible. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So why is it important that we need to know where the first mention of the word love is in the Bible? Because this is your foundation of love. Any other words that follows after this, this is the law of the first mention, is that it's always based on this. It will never change whenever love is talked about. Amen? So how does that look like? So love did not begin with Adam and Eve. It didn't begin with God loving us. God goes all the way down even before creation. John chapter 17. It says, this is Jesus talking. He said, Father, I desire that they also whom you have gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. For you love me before the foundations of the world. Even before you and I were born, even before God created Adam and Eve, even before creation began, the Father has always loved the Son. The Father has always loved Jesus. Amen? Love has always been concentrated on Jesus himself. And don't get discouraged at this. You got to wait for point two and three. You're going to really appreciate this. Okay? That has always been the object of God's love. He's always been Jesus Christ. We sing this song from Israel where it says Jesus at the center of it all. That is an inspiration from the Ark of the Covenant. Israel built a tent, or God told Moses to build a tabernacle, and at the right at the center of the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant. It was a symbol of Jesus Christ himself. Part wood, part gold. Part man, part God. That's what it is. The very symbol of God himself. Though um, We don't have time to go to the word center. But center also means a lot. At the center of the garden is the tree of life. At the center is Christ. So that's what it is. The object of God's love has always been the Son. Amen? In Proverbs chapter 8, it talks about during the time of creation, it says that I was always beside you when you created the world, and I was daily your delight. Jesus was the delight of the Father. And it says that I would, we were always rejoicing, or we rejoiced always. There was a happiness and a joy whenever the Father and the Son were together. In the New Testament, the very first mention of the word love, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all the same. It was when Jesus was baptized and God the Father spoke, This is my beloved Son 
in whom I am well pleased. Other translation says that this is the son whom I love and him I delight on. The object of the love of God has always been the son. So what's that got to do with us? Well, you got to see it from this point. We can never really know how much God loves us until we know how much God loves Jesus. Why is that? Because the next point makes a very good point. <laughs> Coming from me, right? Yeah, <laughs> my next point is very good. Uh, I, I don't know how that sounds like. <laughs> so the next point is this. Have you ever had something so valuable? Have you ever possessed something so valuable? Perhaps a BMW? Just joking. <laughs> or a house that you really love? Or a career? Both of you who are career, who have careers. I mean, you work hard for your career. You take your bachelor's, you take your master's, you take your doctorate. And then finally, you work in the very place that you love. And then you get a family. And your career or your work takes 26 hours of your day. But yet, you spend so much with it that you valued it so much. But now you have a family. You got to choose between which is more valuable. When God said in John 3.16, for God so loved. There's that word, little word, say so. It's a, uh, is it, uh, for English teacher, what is that? Superlative? It's a superlative word to describe that for God so loved. But yet, we, we, I just told you that the object of God's love is the Son. Then how can God say, for God so loved the world? Well, because the love that God expressed for man was a sacrificial love. He loved the son so much, but yet because he said, I love you, he gave something that was so valuable because he considered us of worth and of value. Amen? I know of a person who used to, uh, who used to own a very nice car. Very nice car. Was able to ride on it. I mean, I, I like that car. But then he got married. He, uh, he got a family. So he had to exchange that car for a minivan. That's sacrificial love. I <laughs> was a joke. That goes beyond, sure. That's not how God gave up or sacrificially gave his son. We can, I don't think we can imagine how that would be. But the, think about it. What is something that you value so highly, that you feel so worthy, but yet, because you saw something much more worthy, that you would give it up? But that's the kind of love that God expressed for man, that though he said, this is my beloved son, Jesus Christ, I'm giving him up to you, to man. And that is sacrificial love. It's an act of giving something so valuable, but yet we see something much more valuable. So we give the first that we think is valuable for the second that we believe is much more valuable. Amen? So that's the kind of love that God expressed for man. The second kind of love, or, or which goes uh, in line with this is, can you bring back uh, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, please? In verse 2, it says, As and walk in love as Christ also loved us and given himself, us, himself for us, an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, the second type of love or the kind of love that Jesus gave to us was something, or they've already showed it. It's the very title. It's a selfless love. To be selfless means to be unselfish. 
the word selfie shouldn't be in the word love. In Corinthians, it talks about, it was described how love is. It says, love does not seek its own. Selfless love is always looking forward for the needs of the other. It's always looking for, uh, it's always giving up something because that person needs it more than I do. In fact, it's, I don't even think the word, I, uh, it, it's not that he needs it more than I do, but it's really that giving up something because for that person's sake, for another's sake. And that's what it says in, uh, in the book of Corinthians. It is not self-seeking. Selfless love is always being concerned for the needs of the other. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus gave his life for the sake who's the other for us. He gave his very life so that you and I can live an abundant life. So that you and I can walk in to the throne of, the, uh, to the throne of grace. Amen? And that's the expression of love that the Father or God has expressed towards man. It was a sacrificial love, and it was a, a selfless love. And that's what our scripture was saying. Imitate God and walk in love. Walk in a sacrificial and selfless love. Amen? I know that uh, just thinking about it, it's like, wow, that's difficult. Yes, it is. That's why you need God. Now, we've talked about how people had, um, have done things just to feel loved and just to feel accepted. Now, what does this all mean? How is it that we can actually walk in this love? How can, how can we be, uh, be confident and walk in a sacrificial and selfless love and express it that way? In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, this is what it says. To the phrase of the glory to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. If you are born again, you, you might not still live a perfect life that's understood. And sometimes we still, be, we still base our relationship on our performance. We still think that if I, if I, if I messed up today, oh no, God's not going to look at me. God's going to look at me differently today. Or you, one day you wake up, you're, you're high-spirited, you're full of faith. Oh, God and me are good today. But that is not so. Because of God's sacrificial and selfless love, the way God looks at you never changed. I want to show you a confession of faith coming from Shepherd's Grove uh, Church in California. They read this every time they begin their preaching. This is a confession of faith. As I said earlier, God the Father called Jesus the Beloved. Okay? This is what it says. I am not what I do. I'm not what I have. I'm not what people say about me. I am the Beloved of God. It's who I am. No one can take it from me. I don't have to worry. I don't have to hurry. I can trust my friend Jesus and share his love with the world. But what does that really mean? What does it mean to be the beloved of God? Let me show you an illustration. To be the beloved of God, say for example, this is us. This is you and me. Okay, red, you and me. So is this? Us. (laughs) Say this is you and me. Okay. We are born again believing Christians. Okay. Born again. It says that that we are accepted in the beloved. It's the same phrase that that means we are in Christ. 
So this is us. And this would be appropriate to use as example of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. So this is Jesus, okay? Born-again believer, you and I. When you are born again, you are in Christ. Where's Christ? Right here. You are in Christ. Now, where are you? Can you see yourself? Are you sure? How about that way? Can you see yourself? How about that way? That way? That way? Are you sure? Can you see yourself? How can you not see yourself? Because we are in Christ. Did you get that, church? When Ephesians, when Paul said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, he said, We are accepted in Christ. That's exactly what he meant. We are in Christ. Now, can you pull up Ephesians chapter 5, 31, 32, please? You're going to see this again next week. It says, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning the church or concerning Christ and the church. What mystery was Paul talking about? He was talking about this mystery. You, Christ, in Christ, one flesh. Just like how law has to, uh, what do you call this? By the, by, uh, by the law, when you are married, you are one flesh. You have authority to sign for your husband. Your money belongs to either one of you. It's no longer yours alone. It now belongs to the two of you who is one flesh. And that was the mystery that Paul was talking about. That when you are in Christ, you are one flesh. God looks at you and he doesn't see you anymore. What do you see? Christ. That's exactly how the Father sees us when we are in Christ. He sees only who? Christ. So what if you wake up one day and you have high faith? Oh, I can walk in water today. I have such great faith. So how does God look at you that day? In Christ. What about you wake up one morning and you had a fight with your wife? You had, your kids irritated you. You stormed the house. You drove to Marine Drive. Somebody cut you off. You gave them a half a day wave with some French words. How does God look at you? It doesn't matter. And that's why there is confession is faith. It's, it's not what I do. I am not what I do. I am not what I have. I am not what people say about me. I am the beloved of God because I am in Christ. That is who I am. Nobody can take that away from me. I don't have to worry. I don't need to hurry. I can, share my, uh, I can trust my friend Jesus and I can share his love with the world. Amen? We don't have to fall. <laughs> Ladies. Okay, Pastor Taylor, I remember I heard this first from Pastor Taylor. This was her, or this was his advice. Uh, pastor Taylor is our founding pastor. This was his advice to the ladies who were single back then. That if you're single, you're a lady. He said, a woman should lose her heart in God so that man will have to seek him in order to find her. Did you get that? A woman should lose her heart in God that the man has to search God in order to find her. Church, if God gave up Jesus Christ, whom he called so my beloved, one who I delight with, then ladies, you are worth it. If God gave something so valuable, 
in exchange for you, then that means you are that worthy. Amen? You are worth it. Don't give away your virtues, okay? Amen? Where am I? I'm supposed to be here somewhere. I forgot where I am now. I'm sorry. We finished the great mystery, right? We're closing now. We've got st- uh, stuff going on. Amen? Church, you are accepted in Christ. The only way to be accepted in Christ is to be born again, meaning take the gift that he gave us. And once you take it, you are in Christ. Okay? It doesn't matter. God sees who? Christ. In closing, so we began by, say, by, by saying, or by Ephesians chapter 5, 1 and 2, please. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Uh, in my New King James, that's uh, read as, my, as beloved children. Oh, no, that ESB, it's, uh, it's read as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So how do we do that? To walk in love? Let me tell you another testimony, and we'll end with this one. True story. In 1998, let me drink water. It's going to be emotional. In 1998, my, my older brother was hospitalized. He collapsed at work, and he was hospitalized. The doctor discovered that he has a total kidney failure on both kidneys. Total kidney failure. So the, the doctor told him what he can do next. He said, you could either live through dialysis all your life. How long will that take? We do not know. It depends on how your body can take it. Or you can get a kidney transplant. If you decide to get a kidney transplant, you can do is you go sign up at the Philippine Kidney Center. Uh, he was in the Philippines then, uh, until now. Then, until now, he's in the Philippines. So you can sign up at the Philippine Kidney Center, but the waiting list is so long. Or you can go and look for your own donor. Now, if you look for your own donor, he, uh, the doctor said, the best possible match that you can get are your siblings or your kins, your relatives. But, the, 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 but what you got to be concerned of, the doctor said, is if you take it or if you decide to go with your own relatives, you got to consider is, what if that disease ran in your family and it also happens to your sibling? So instead of being worried over one, you're going to be worried over two. And then another option, the doctor said, or you can, go to, uh, you can go buy somebody else's kidney. People offer their body parts over there, believe me. They do. Anyway, so that was the option. Okay, to cut the story short, I was a new believer then. I got saved in 1997. Um, and, God, and, the, and the verse that popped into my mind so heavily was that in, in the book of John where it says, No greater love... Greater love has no one than this, that a man would lay down his life for a friend. Which coincides with uh, another verse in 1 John where it says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to also lay down our life for the brethren. For those few months, as he was searching for a kidney donor, that verse was in my mind so strongly. So cut this story short. After eight months, we found a kidney donor. Standing right here in front of you. 
Uh, I am a living uh, organ donor. Uh, which kidney is it? My right kidney. I donated my right kidney to my brother. He's living now. He's alive. He's well. But I made sure before we went on that day, it was a Wednesday, we went on a, uh, to, to do the surgery. I went into his room and I talked to him. I said, brother, I'm sorry that it took this long for this to happen. I really thought about this. And I want you to know that I'm doing this out of my own free will. I am not obligated to do this. And I also want you to know that after all of this is done with, you do not owe me anything. And after that, we had a manly crying session. Two brothers hugging each other, saying, brother, I love you. Amen? And we're going to end with this. Our experience of God's love becomes the expression of our love. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you deemed us to be so worthy and so valuable that you gave one that is so valuable, Father. And Father, I pray that that would just resonate in our hearts, that we would just receive that. And we would know that we are valuable in your eyes, that we are worthy in your eyes. So Father, I pray for our people, and I pray, Father, that as we leave today, that message will remain, that we don't have to give ourselves away, because we are valuable in your eyes. In the name of Jesus, amen.